All right. So we took a little break from, from Acts for the uh, Christmas season. We took a few weeks off. So let me just give you a recap of where we are, because I know some of you uh, obviously weren't here for, for some of Acts, and then some of you probably don't remember where we left off, because it was like a month ago. So we just saw in uh, chapter 9 of Acts, the Apostle Paul, who is called Saul at this point in the story, gets saved. He's brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, he's doing his thing of learning and growing in the gospel and getting to know the Christians in, uh, in the church who he had once been persecuting and once been trying to kill and arrest and all those things. Uh, God saves him out of that wicked uh, life that he was living and um, is, is going to call him to, to some great things later on in the book of Acts. In about chapter 13 or 14 or so, the story will turn and focus primarily on the Apostle Paul and what he does um, as a missionary of the church. But what we're at right now is turning our attention back to another guy who has played a big role in the story up to this point, and that's the Apostle Peter. And Peter, of course, was one of Jesus' disciples, one of the men he called to follow him. And uh, Peter has now taken on the role of uh, what we would we would kind of use the terms lead pastor or senior pastor of the church. He's he's not the only leader of the church, but he is definitely kind of the front man in some sense for for what the church is doing. And Peter takes uh, the the primary role here in in the story. So we're kind of coming back to the Peter story here and and seeing what he's up to after taking some time with with the Apostle Paul. So that's kind of the, the framework. Um, but, but the story we're going to look at is a crucially important story. It's one of the most important stories in the book of Acts. It's one of the most important parts of the, of the story because uh, chapter, primarily chapter 10 um, really shows us how the heart of God for all people. Up to this point, it has primarily been the Jewish people that Jesus came to and that the gospel was first preached to and people who are coming to faith are predominantly, though not exclusively, uh, Jewish, right? We, don't, we haven't seen a great amount of people outside of Israel coming to faith, but all of that's about to change in this story. And this is, this is telling us something that happened for which all of us should be extremely grateful because without this, we would be without knowledge of God. We wouldn't know the gospel as people outside of Israel if it had just stayed there and remain there, we would be, we'd be hopeless uh, at this point in life. So thank God for this story because it shows us uh, that reality that, that God loves all people. The biblical word would be Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles is kind of that big catch-all word for, uh, for anyone who's not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, that's, that's you. You're a Gentile, I'm a Gentile, uh, at least in the biblical understanding of it. So so that's what we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see how God gets the Gentiles into the Christian faith in this story. Um, but what this story really shows us, I think, in addition to God's heart for the people outside of Israel, is it also shows us that, that we have within us the great prejudices that need to be remedied through the gospel of Christ, through the good news of Jesus. The 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 reality is, is that every one of us, every one of us, and some maybe to different degrees than others, but all of us struggle with prejudice, with looking at people uh, that are different than us or looking at people that don't fit a mold that we think they should fit. 
and then looking down on them. And that has actually been, just to be honest with you, one of the great struggles of my life. Uh, I have been a man and I still am in many ways. God is working in my life in this, but this is something that I have struggled with as I, I kind of look at a person or I look at a, a, a listen to them speak for a few minutes and then I make a very quick snap judgment about them. This has been something my wife has had to bear with me for, for a long time is that I'll just be like, oh, that person, blah, you know, and I'll, I'll just write them off. And thankfully the Lord is doing a work in my life where I'm not perfectly fixed from that. Um, I still have those moments, but I definitely recognize it in my life a lot more and I hate it uh, a lot more than I used to. And so I'm quicker to repent of it when I see it happen. Um, but we are, we're all on a journey to some degree of, of having to deal with prejudices or, or pr- uh, partiality or showing favoritism towards other people, towards some people and not others. This is a human problem and it's a huge problem even in the early church, in, in and among the people who were living in those days with Peter and all these guys. And we're going to see God begin to break that down for us. Okay, so we're going to start, we're going to pick it up in verse 32 of chapter 9. 32 through 43 really are just kind of a bridge to get us back to what Peter's up to and help us see that he's still doing his thing And then chapter 10 is really going to be the heart of what we look at. So we'll look at these just real quickly. I'll read them for us. It says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there was a man uh, named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. So that's super helpful, right? We, we, uh, basically, Tabitha and Dorcas is, uh, Tabitha's Aramaic, Dorcas is Greek. Just, they mean the same thing. They mean gazelle. That's what those words mean. Uh, so they, she goes by either of those. And, and that's probably, these are probably nicknames. So, Dorcas is not a great nickname anymore, but that was, that's what she was known as. Okay. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, And many believed in the Lord, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Okay, so these stories, like I said, are are basically a bridge to help us understand after being in the story about Paul and kind of focusing the attention on him. Well, Luke brings us back as he's writing this story of the early church. He brings us back to Peter 
and he reminds us that Peter's still doing his thing. He's still doing the ministry of, of Christ. He's healing people. He's bringing back people from the dead. Like there's some amazing, crazy things that are happening because Jesus Christ is at work in and through Peter. So he does these things. And now all of this is ultimately just to set us up for Peter being in Joppa, this city, this little town near the sea. And he's staying with this guy named Simon, which is confusing because Peter's name is also Simon. So it just, it just gets confused, confusing here. Uh, but Simon, and this Simon that he's staying with is a tanner. Now that's a significant little detail. That's a, it's kind of a throw out detail, but it's there for a reason. A tanner was, is somebody who makes leather out of animal hide, right? You, you make leather materials out of animals. And a tanner would have been someone in the Jewish world, in the Jewish context with all the laws and rules about what you can touch and not touch and what's clean and unclean. A tanner was somebody who would have been living almost perpetually in a state of ceremonial uncleanness. He would have been someone who would have been dealing with dead animals all the time because that's the nature of the job. And so the fact that Peter is staying in this guy's house is showing us a little bit of what Peter's heart is changing towards. He, he probably would not have done this if Jesus wasn't at work in his life because he'd go, ah, I'll stay with someone else because your house is kind of messy and I don't want to be, be in this. But he doesn't. He stays with him for many days, it says in verse 43. Okay, so that gets us to really Peter's in Joppa. That's important because what happens next gets us uh, to see some good stuff here. Chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion and of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, not confusing at all, right? whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so this, this is setting up the story for us. Here is this guy named Cornelius who is a, a, a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. So he is officially working for the bad guys, okay, in a Jewish mindset. The, the Romans occupied Israel at this time in history. The Israelites were not truly free people. They were under Roman occupation. This is a big problem for most of the Jews. They did not like this. And here you have a Gentile, guy who's not from Israel, he's not a Jewish guy, living in Israel, but he's there as a Roman soldier. And not just a Roman soldier, but a, a leader of Roman soldiers. He led uh, what was known as the Italian cohort. So here's this guy, he's from Italy, probably, probably from Rome. He's stationed as a military soldier in, uh, in Israel. 
And yet he is also a man who is devout. He fears God. He prays. He gives generously to people. He, he's tender towards the things of God. Okay, so he's, he's this very bizarre type of person because he's, he's not a pagan in the sense of worshiping all the gods of the Roman pantheon. He seems to be interested or drawn to the God of Israel for whatever reason. We're not really told why. His heart is starting to soften towards the people of Israel. He's not cruel or harsh with them as others may have been. And so what happens is, is this angel shows up to him and says, hey, uh, here's what you need to do. You need to go send some guys to Joppa. And there's a guy named Peter, Simon, who goes by Peter. And he's living with a guy named Simon, who's a tanner. And his house is by the sea. So super specific directions. <laughs> and uh, so they are, you know, they're sent on this mission. And basically they're told, go get Peter and bring him here. Why in the world is an angel telling Cornelius to do this? Cornelius seems like a decent guy, doesn't he? He seems like he's a guy we'd all like to hang out with. He's nice. He's, he seems spiritual. He's generous. He gives money to people. Like he's a good guy. But here's the problem. He's not a Christian. You can be a nice, interested, spiritual person and not be saved. You are saved and we are saved by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and believing that's the peace that Cornelius doesn't have. He's not heard the good news of Jesus specifically. He's spiritual, but not Christian, not yet. And that's why he's told, go get Peter. He's going to come to your house and he'll tell you what you need to do. All right, so let's look at verse nine. The next day, as they were on their journey. So the guys that Cornelius sends, he gets a group of three guides together, one a soldier and two guys that are friends of his, go to Joppa. So the next day while they're on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop at about the sixth hour, which is about noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up into heaven. So let's stop there for a second. Peter is given this bizarre dream, vision, trance, whatever you want to call it. He's seeing this thing that's happening in his, you know, in his mind. He's seeing this thing that the sheet is coming down on earth, and all these animals are inside the sheet. And they're all just kind of walking around. But it's all these animals that he would never have been allowed to touch or eat as a Jew. The Jews had very strict rules about what they could eat. They still do. We call them kosher meals, right? There are certain foods that have to be eaten that are, that are from appropriate animals and from, from the right way of killing them and all those things. There's all these rules. So Peter is told as he sees all these unclean animals, all these common animals, all these things that a, that a Jew would never be allowed to eat, 
he's told by God, by Jesus actually, uh, get up and kill that animal and eat it. And Peter says no, which is pretty bold because, you know, telling God, telling Jesus no, it's not something we try to do. But here he is. He said, no, by no means, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I don't know what Peter's thinking there, but we'll, <laughs> we'll just leave that alone for a second. He says, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. I will not do this. This, this, will, this will make ev- everything I've done in my life meaningless. And the voice of the Lord in verse 15 came to him again and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. So, so God is telling Peter, I've said it's clean. You don't get to tell me what's clean and unclean. I'm telling you that you can do this. Now, what makes me laugh is that this happened three times. Peter's fighting with Jesus right here. He's like, no, no, no. Three times they're going back and forth on, kill that animal and eat it. No, I won't do it. Yes, you will. You're going to do it. All right, this is all happening in a dream. It's not happening in, in actual reality uh, or in, in front of him. But he's, this is happening three times and then the vision goes away. It's, it's up into heaven, okay. So, so Peter's being told to do something that as a Jew would have been absolutely unthinkable to eat uh, as much as we feel bad for the guy, he's never had bacon. He's never had anything worth eating in his life. But, um, <laughs> but, he, but here he is. He's fighting God. And God's like, no, you see that pig? You're going to eat that pig. You're going to love it too. And he will. He will. Okay. So while Peter, 17, while Peter was inwardly perplexed about this, what the vision that he had seen might mean. So he's sitting there going, what in the world was that? Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. So these guys have gotten themselves to the sea and and are like, "Uh, are you guys, does Simon live here? Does Simon live here? And they're just going house to house. They're at the right house now. So while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in to be his guests. Okay, so this is, um, this is a, a big moment. Right? There, there are these Gentile, non-Jewish guys who are calling for Peter to come to, to Cornelius' house to talk to Cornelius about Peter doesn't know what, right? He's, he's just being told by God to go and do this. And uh, they, they show up. And, um, and, and yeah, and while he's thinking about, at the same time, he's thinking about what God has just been saying to him or trying to show him through this vision that he was given of the animals. Okay, so they show up. He invites them in to stay with them for a bit. And it says, the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So there were some Jewish guys that joined Peter in this. And it says, um, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. 
when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and he fell down at Peter's feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. I love that. I love this because it's just, it's funny for one thing. It's kind of like Cornelius is just so over the top, probably very emotional and excited and all these things. And he's like, I'm going to worship this guy. Peter is here. He's going to, he's going to, I don't know what Peter's going to tell me, but I'm going to worship him like he's a God. And Peter's like, what are you doing? Get up off that ground. Do not do this. I'm just a dude. And he talked with him and went in and found many persons gathered. So I love that too. Cornelius is like, okay, Peter's coming. Everybody come over to my house. I don't know if he set these people up for this, like prepared them for this, or was just like, just come over for a party. Nothing weird's gonna happen. Uh, I don't know, but he's got all these people together, his friends, his family. And he said to them, so Peter says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So what Peter is doing, he's acknowledging is unlawful by the Jewish rules. He's breaking the law of the Jews because he's associating with people who are not Jewish. This was not something you were to do. But, he says, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, or when I was sent for, I came without hesitation and objection, and I asked then why you sent for me. So, so Peter's going, what I'm doing isn't allowed, but he's now connecting what happened in that vision, which yes, does set us up for understanding that we can eat anything that, that God has made. There's no unclean animals for us to consume, but really the dream is not about the food it was about people. And, and God was preparing Peter's heart to understand that God is not holding him back from being with the Gentiles. They are not common or unclean in God's sight. And so he shows up and he, and he says, why did you send for me? Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house. And at the ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Cornelius just goes, Peter, you're here because God told me to send for you. Talk. Say what you want to say what you got to say. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses and ate, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that, the, that uh, he is the one anointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter preaches the gospel, right? The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter just walks through all those things. He says God is, God is, uh, empowered Jesus. He did. He went about healing all and doing good and all these things. And then he was killed and then he was raised from the dead. And he said, I, Peter's saying, I saw him. I saw him alive. I ate with him after he was raised from the dead. So the gospel is now preached to Cornelius and to all of his Gentile friends. Cornelius was a good man, but he wasn't a saved man. Not, not until this point. He needed the gospel preached and Peter was the one who God appointed to do it. While Peter, verse 44, was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that is the Jews, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That they, Then they asked him to remain for some days. So this is the massive moment in, in the story where the Holy Spirit, just as he did in Pentecost in the beginning of the book of Acts, fell upon the believers of Jesus in the early days, has now done the exact same thing the exact same thing to the Gentiles. These people who are outside of Israel, outside of the Jewish faith, who, are, who have no real context for it, they've now heard the gospel, they've believed, the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and now Peter is baptizing them, bringing them into the church. This is probably the most significant thing that happens in the book of Acts. This is the moment that the gospel does truly go beyond the, wall, the, the, the borders of Israel. This is a fulfillment of the promises that God had made in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, that, the, that Israel would be a light to the Gentiles. And we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that, that he is this light that now the Gentiles, these non-Jewish people are gathering around Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes down to signify absolute unity here, that there is, there is no distinction. There is no partiality. That's what, that's what Peter says at the beginning of his talk. He says, I understand that God shows no partiality, meaning God doesn't show favoritism. He's not saying you guys, you Jewish guys are like the best guys, and then you Gentiles are kind of okay, but you're, you're second class. No, everybody who's in Jesus is in Jesus together equally before God. Everyone is welcome. So that moment happened. Now, that's something to rejoice 
to be grateful for because that means you and I, who are not Jewish probably, we get to be saved through Jesus. There's no extra hoops we have to jump through. There's no additional rites of passage. We believe in Jesus and we're saved. We trust him with our lives. All right. You would think that would be celebration for, and good news, but the story continues. Let's get into chapter 11. Real quickly, we got, we're not going to look at all of this, but let me hit some of the highlights. Now, the apostles, that would be the 12 guys who were following Jesus and are in charge of the church, leading the church, and the brothers, fellow Christians, who were, who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So the news has spread. And when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. This is interesting for a couple reasons. First of all, the, the church is very young at this point still. Not, not very old at all. I don't know how many years we're into, but not many. And there's already factions in the church. There's a circumcision party, which means that there's a group of people who believe to be saved, you have to be Jewish. Paul is going to fight these guys quite a lot, actually, in his, in his writing to the Galatians. But here's the circumcision party. Peter shows up and they criticize Peter. That's the second thing that's shocking about this is that you would think there'd be no room to criticize Peter. But Peter's not above criticism. He's criticized. Which means that when you and I are criticized, as we will be and are, yeah, shake it off. It's fine, you know? Peter has to just shake it off too. You're not going to please everybody. Stand before God in integrity and trust that your critics may have something to teach you but he doesn't get rattled too much by this. He, he actually explains what happens and he explains what happened in order. So from verse five to verse um, 16, he basically just recites everything almost verbatim for what we've just seen. So we're not gonna read through it all again because it's just a retelling of the whole story about the vision, about the guys who come for him, et cetera, et cetera, preaching to, preaching to Cornelius and his friends. So, You can read that on your own, but we're just going to go down to verse 16 and then we'll pick it up from there. It says, Peter says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, the word of Jesus, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then, here's, here's Peter's point to the circumcision party. If then God gave the same gift to them, the Gentiles, as he gave to us, the Jews, When we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter is facing his critics and going, here's what happened. Here's the facts. Here's here's what God did. Now here's 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 how uh, Peter is logicking his way through this. He's going, if God gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit in the exact same way he gave it to us when we believed in Jesus then doesn't that tell us that God's in this thing? And maybe we shouldn't be getting in his way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And, this is the good news, they glorified God, saying, 
then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So, so yes, Peter's criticized initially, but after having explained what happened, his critics turn to rejoice in the Lord and go, wow, the Gentiles are also given repentance that leads to life. This is wonderful news. That's where we're going to pause here in, in Acts. But what I, what I want us to look at here is just real briefly how this transpires through time. Because every one of us struggles, probably not with believing that the Gentiles can be Christians. Okay, we've, we've accepted that because we are that. Okay, uh, for about 2,000 years, the church has accepted the fact that Gentiles are welcome into Jesus because of this. We know that. That's not the question. But, but I think this story does actually point us to some things that are in our own hearts. I think it shows some things that are deeply embedded in us as much as it was embedded in the Jews of Paul, Peter's day. And that we also show partiality to people, don't we? Or at least we're tempted to do so at times. This is not actually a, a one and done situation. It's not like this issue never comes back up. In fact, the Apostle Paul has to address this issue uh, in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Philippians, and in Colossians, um, which tells us, and probably in Corinthians too, um, tells us that there's like a big problem with showing partiality to people. James deals with this. Peter deals with that. The whole Bible, the whole New Testament has to continue to draw us back to God doesn't show partiality. Let me just show you quickly where we can see that. It's in Galatians. Um, I want to show you two quick passages, very quick passages. Galatians 2, 11 through 14, and then chapter 3, 28 and 29. So in Galatians 2, Peter, uh, Paul and Peter are, are kind of talking, Peter, Paul's recounting in a conversation he had with Peter. Okay, so verse 11 says, but when Cephas, that's another name for Peter, Simon, Peter, Cephas, it just gets super confusing. Same guy. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So Paul's writing these words and he's going, when I, when I saw Peter back in Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was wrong. Here's why, verse 12. Because before certain men came from James, James sent some guys to Antioch, but before that happened, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when these men from James came, he, Peter, drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. These same dudes who were criticizing him at the beginning of chapter 11. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct, what they were doing, how they were living, was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how is it that you can force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul just body slams Peter with his hypocrisy. 
And he, he's, so, so here's what's, we need to hear this. Peter is the guy who got the vision of the sheet and the animals. Peter is the guy who preached to Cornelius and saw the Holy Spirit fall upon the Gentiles. Peter is the one who defends all of this to the circumcision party to begin with. And at some point, probably 15, 20 years later, as Galatians is written, Peter's falling back into his old ways. If Peter can stumble in this, so can we. That's, that's clear. Peter's a sinner just like us. And he's struggling with this too. And what Paul's pointing out to him is there's hypocrisy in your life. Because on one hand, yeah, you're looking at the Gentiles and while, while James's boys aren't there, you're eating bacon with them left and right. You love it. And then James's guys show up and you're like, oh, I've never eaten bacon in my life. I'm the greatest Jew that's ever Jewed. Um, that is not in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter is called out for it. Now, here's how Paul gives us what we need to hear about this. In chapter three, at the end of chapter three, he puts this all, all into kind of context. Um, he says in verse 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Here's what Paul's doing. He's actually taking the, the partiality issue, the favoritism issue, and he's bringing it further out. He's, he's going, yeah, there's the Jew and Gentile conflict. That's, that was happening with Peter and the Judaizers and all these other people. But there's a lot of other categories in which we show favoritism. The issue for us may not be Jew-Gentile anymore, but it is often still ethnic or cultural. And I think that that's what Paul's getting at when he says there's neither Jew nor Greek. These, these, these ethnic divides, these cultural divides that we're so prone to being partial towards our own and distasteful of others doesn't have a place in the church. And then he says there's a category of slave and free. Now, we, in Paul's world, that was a real category. There were slaves and there were free men. We have less of that in our culture. Um, but we, would, we could use social status here. Social, you know, your place in the social hierarchy. We could say rich and poor and, and kind of get to at least some of what Paul's getting at. And there is people who look down on the poor. And there are people who look down on the rich typically depending on where you land in that, right? And so neither of those partialities has any place with us. And then he goes into another category of partiality, male and female, the gender wars, the, the fighting between men and women. And you have, you have the misogyny of men who look down on women and you have the radical feminism of women who look down on men. And these things do not have a place in the church. And by the way, there are male and female, right? There are, there are social statuses. There are ethnic differences. Paul's not denying that those things exist as categories. They obviously exist, but those things are not to be divisive in the body of Christ. Why? Because we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
So it is, so your gender doesn't separate you from God or put you in a different class of Christian. Your social status of wealthy or poor or slave or free or whatever category you want to use there, that's not separating you from Christ or putting you in a second class of citizenship. And your ethnicity, whether you're Greek or Jewish, doesn't put you in a different category. We need to fight for true unity in the faith. And Christianity, Jesus Christ, as he works through us, breaks down these walls and brings us into equality in Christ. Because under Jesus, we are all actually completely equal. We're all sinners who deserve God's wrath. And if that's the starting point, whether you're rich or poor, man or woman, Jew or Greek, if we're all sinners, then what do we have to boast in? All we have is to look to Jesus for salvation. And so despite all the distinctions and differences, and these are true distinctions and differences. He's not denying that these things exist. He's saying that we can be unified despite those differences because of Christ. And I think that our church and every church, but I care about this church primarily, we should be ferociously in pursuit of this unity. And we're not probably going to have the Jew and Gentile argument so much in our context, but we will absolutely have the rich and poor argument. We will absolutely have the you're from that side of the tracks, I'm from this side of the tracks argument. We absolutely will be prone to look down on people because of different things about them. And we have to fight that within us. We need to recognize our own need for Jesus and their need for Jesus. And that means we don't have anything to fight about. We bring each other to Jesus. Jesus has welcomed us to himself for the glory of God. And Paul tells us in Romans 15, 7, that as we've been welcomed, we are to welcome one another for the glory of God. That should be our pursuit. Everyone should be welcome into this because everyone is welcome to Jesus. And we have different problems than Paul and Peter did, but we, but we have the same underlying issues. Do we really want to accept certain people? I think part of us says no, but the gospel says yes, and we must submit ourselves to that. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you uh, that you have redeemed us through Jesus. As, as we sit in this room, most of us being Gentiles, ethnically not part of Israel, we are not separated from you. We are not second-class citizens in your kingdom. We are not considered lower than others. And for that, we thank you that you have welcomed us into you and, and to your church. We pray then from there that you would lead us to be the welcoming community that we're called to be, that you want us to be, that we wouldn't look down at others and that we wouldn't even idolize others, but we would just simply see you and every one of us as equal under the cross. We thank you for your grace that has been given to us, that you have given us faith to believe it, and that you would lead us to greater worship of you and hearts that are um, desiring to love you more. So we pray these things and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.